Hey church, we are kicking off our new year uh, with the word revive. That is our theme for the year. We're going to talk about it all this month, but actually all this year. But we'll hit it hard this month and talk about why revive is what we've heard from the Lord for our church for this year. Uh, And we're starting off this year with a fast. So Um, Some of you guys are already into it. If you haven't yet joined, we invite you to join the fast with us, fasting and praying. Make sure you pair your fasting with praying because without it, fasting is just dieting. So pair those things together. We're praying into repentance and revival uh, in our hearts and, and in our church because revival actually starts here. It starts in your heart. It starts in my heart. If we want to see it out there, if we want to see it in our church, if we want to see it in our city, it has to start in our own hearts. The beautiful thing about repentance is it produces revival. And as we fast together, as we pray together, as we physically depend on the Lord together, as we spiritually depend on the Lord together, we hope to see revival in our own hearts. And that's why we're doing this series called Revive. We're going to go through our DNA as well, KDSC, Kingdom Disciple Society Church, Kingdom Disciples, Engaging Society, and out of that arises the church. And we'll go through this series and you'll see that out of that arises a certain kind of church, a church that looks a certain way, a church that lives on mission in a certain way. And when Jesus, when Jesus starts his ministry, when he comes on the scene in Matthew chapter 4, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is so close you can reach out and touch it. It's at hand. It's next to us. It's, it's almost like Jesus is saying, it's here. I'm here. The kingdom of heaven is here. So repent. And oftentimes we, we, um, we uh, take that word repent and uh, we hear this harshness in it. And then we read this psalm here. And this psalm, uh, Psalm 51, oftentimes this psalm is read when uh, we, we've sinned and, and then we say, God created me a clean heart. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. And uh, there's a mourning to it, right? And, and the psalm was written out of King David and his, his own sin. Uh, because going back to, all the way back to 2 Samuel, what David did was he had everything he ever wanted. He had everything he needed, everything he desired, everything he wanted. And still he took something from somebody else. And that was a, uh, he had an adulterous relationship uh, with, Beth, with Bathsheba and ended up murdering her husband uh, to cover his tracks, then um, took her as his wife and, uh, and then realized how horribly he had sinned against God. And he repented and out of his repentance, he wrote this psalm. And think about that sin, guys. It was, it was so egregious, right? He saw something and he had plenty of, he, he, he had plenty of wives. He had plenty, he had everything he needed. And he went and he saw someone else's wife, took her, made her his own, and then covered his track with her husband. So killing her husband. So like, that's pretty bad. Like, I, I, and, and out of this is born this psalm. So before we dive in, though, I want to play a little game with you guys. I want you guys to do something in your R3 groups. Uh, if, you're, if you're not in your R3 group this morning, uh, just do this by yourself. 
But you're, I want you to take a couple minutes. Let's, let's just actually, let's just say one minute because this exercise is supposed to be fast. So take one minute and we're going to do a word association exercise. And, and so I'm going to give you the word, then we'll start the timer. And for your, for your R3, if you're an R3 leader, someone in your R3, just write down or type in what people say or just remember it. Like you can just shout it out in your, in your group. Uh, so again, I'm going to give you the word and then give you a minute to, to um, just say whatever comes to your mind that's associated with that word, right? Simple word association. Uh, don't think about it too hard. Just blurt out whatever pops in your mind with this word, okay? Everyone ready? All right, let's go. Here's the word. The word is repentance. Go. Okay, time's up. So the average, per, and I don't know what you guys came up with. I'm interested to, to hear and, and find out. Uh, and some of you guys may have been, uh, try to be a little too holy and come up with a good word and, and all that. But the point of this exercise is just whatever comes to your mind first. Um, and the average person uh, who answers this, because this exercise has been done, uh, the average person who answers this, the, the words that come up are sinner, folly, wickedness, forgiveness, sin, atone, penance. Those are, those are a few of the words that, that come up. If you, look at, if you look at those words, a lot of those words aren't great words, right? Wickedness, uh, sinner, um, folly, right? Uh, stupidity, right? <laughs> uh, like a lot of those words aren't, aren't, they don't have good connotations, right? And so often with re the word repentance, it doesn't have a good connotation, okay? Oftentimes the tone is harsh, uh, the tone is hard. It's it's yelling even. Uh, you might when you when Jesus says repent for the kingdom of heaven, of heaven is at hand. If you grew up when I grew up, every time you heard the word repent, it was yelled at you, right? Um, and so when you read that from Jesus in the scriptures, he's yelling it. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Instead of him saying, "Hey guys, you can actually now repent because the kingdom of heaven is here." You can actually turn. You can actually follow me. You are empowered to do so now. But oftentimes, like I said, it's yelling, it's hard, it's loud. 
it's forceful, right? You're going to force someone to repent through guilt or shame. Uh, the emotion oftentimes attributed with the word is, is sadness. It's mournful. It's grief. It's anger, right? So um, what we want to do this morning is I want to change that. We're going to repent this morning from our poor connotations uh, that we attribute to the word repentance, Okay, we're going to turn from it this morning. And, and because, and, and here's the thing, you may not have answered that. Your word association may not have been this, but that's the average person's word association with it. So those who you may be trying to reach and share your faith with, they view repentance in that way. The average Christian views repentance in that way. So we want to change this in us. We, we, want, to, we want to hopefully attribute a different tone and maybe even a different definition to what you think repentance is. Because do you know that the Bible actually talks about repentance differently than what is averagely, often, normally attributed to it? The Bible actually talks about it totally differently. And Psalm 51 is often a psalm, like I said, where a Christian appeals to this psalm because they feel bad about their sin that they just committed, you know, created me, cast me out away from your presence, God, restore, restore to me your salvation. But, but we're going to see a, we're going to see some new things in here, hopefully, as we go through the entire psalm through the month of January. So let's jump in. It says in, in verse one, and, and you see there before verse one, it's actually not a verse, it's a subscription to the title of the psalm. Uh, where it says what the psalm is about. So the context of David and Bathsheba, I got it from here, and that's inspired in the text, where it says, A psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him, after David, he had gone into Bathsheba. So that's where the context is coming from that I talked about earlier. But then verse 1, he says this, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to... What does he say there? According to your judgment? According to how guilty you want me to feel? According to your punishment? According to your consequences? According to uh, any other thing that's bad? He says, no, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. That word is the Hebrew word for love that is like, the Greek word for, for love, agape, and it, well, not exactly the same, but it's, but it's God's perfect love. It's, it's this word chesed in Hebrew, that is God's love that is never ending, that is always pursuing this, that is always chasing after this, that is always running there, that is, that is um, uh, it is unfathomable because it's so deep. This love is perfect for us. And, and so he says, have mercy, O God, according to your steadfast love. And then he says, according to your abundant mercy. He doesn't say, God, according to your mercy that has limits. He doesn't say, God, according to, to your mercy. And that word for mercy here is actually, it's a different word from mercy earlier in the verse. They're two different words. So it's actually better translated as compassion. And it's like the Greek, it's, it's, it's kind of equivalent to the Greek word for compassion, which is, which is uh, splachna. You feel it here. So God has this abundant compassion for us that is born out of his very being. And it's abundant, guys. It's always there. We cannot ever fully exhaust it. It is always there for us. 
His compassion is abundant. His love is steadfast. It's never ending. And so these are the things that kick off this psalm of repentance and mourning. And guys, he's, he's talking about God's compassion is abundant. He's not mourning and sad, as we're going to see later. He's referring to God's abundant compassion, his mercy, and his steadfast love. Like those are things that bring joy and gladness, not that bring uh, depression and guilt and shame. So those, that, the, the tone of repentance, he's already shifted in verses one, uh, sorry, in just, in just verse one, right? In just verse one, he's already shifted that tone. He's, he started us off with a tone that is, uh, that reflects not your sin, right? Your sin is, is guilt and it's shame and it leads to death. He starts off with a tone that reflects your Savior. Life, abundance, joy. Ah, oh, how does that change how you repent? How does that change how, how you look at sin? How does it change when you, how does it change when you have the desire in your heart and you want to sin? When you, if you can look at your Savior and say, Oh man, Jesus, you're so much more beautiful than this fleeting momentary pleasure. You're so much more majestic and grand and marvelous. And so I want to see your abundant mercy. I want to see your, your, your uh, compassion. I want to see your steadfast love reign in me. Because he says, according to your abundant mercy, he says, blot out my transgressions. Those things blotted out. They just overtake it. It's like light in the darkness, right? The light just overtakes it. The light of Christ just overtakes our sin. The blood of Christ just covers it. And, and he says here in verse 3, he says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Guys, so, much, so many times in repentance, we think we have to do the turning away. We think we have to do the thing that brings repentance in our hearts. We think it's all on us to be better. God, I'm going to be better next time. And God's like, no, just be in me next time. God does the work. David, he's laying himself before God. He says, you wash me. I don't need to wash myself. You cleanse me, God. I can't cleanse myself. And he recognizes that God is the one who does this. That, that all we have to do is open ourselves up to what God wants to do in our hearts. It's that easy. Take that sin and let it go. Take that pride and let it go. Take that anger, let it go. Take that lust, take that need for success and let it go. Take that uh, need for affirmation from others and just let it go and say, God, you wash me, you cleanse me, you do your work in me. I can't do it myself. You do it. And David does this here. And so then going into verses 3, he says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. And here's the key. How aware are you of your sin? How aware are you of it? David actually wasn't aware back in 2 Samuel 11 and 12, as we said in the subscription, 
uh, it, it was Nathan the prophet, a trusted friend, who came to David and helped him see his fault. He was so deeply mired in his sin that he couldn't see outside of himself. So he needed a trusted friend to come and do that. And guys, sometimes it takes community. Community is essential, actually the one on the left side was essential to help us stay on the path of, of Christ. And so community is there to help us do that. And sometimes you can see it yourself, because David, David does that. He says, I know my transgressions. Well, um, he did, uh, and he didn't. So sometimes you can see it yourself, but a lot of times it, you need those in your life who, who you trust, who you've built a relationship with, who, who can say, hey, you're just a little off here. I think you're thinking about this wrong. What's your motivation here? Um, what you did back, back there, that's not cool. Um, I, don't know if, I don't know if that honors Christ. Um, and let me help build you up. Right? So that's community, that's a trusted, that's a trusted friend, that is, that's your R3, right? that is discipleship, that's how we become more and more like Jesus, is by allowing people to help push us in that direction and, and open ourselves up, up to that. And you see here that, that David does that, and, and he's, he's becoming uh, more and more self-aware, because in verse 4 he says, Against you, God, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in, in your sight. So back in 2 Samuel, like I said, David was worried about covering his own tracks. But here, he sees God as the real object of his sin. Let that sink in. Because David says, I didn't... It's not that I sinned against Bathsheba. It's not that I sinned against Uriah, his, uh, her husband. It's not that I sinned against the kingship. It's not that I sinned against the people of God, the people of Israel. Now, all those are true, but who I really committed my sin against, who really was the object of my sin, was you, God. It was you. Because, guys, I think sometimes we can find excuses for, for our sin. Oh, well, I yelled at my spouse because they did this. So that justifies me, me not treating them like Jesus would. Oh, I'm, I did this at work because everybody does this. Um, so what's the difference? Or I did this because they did this. And, and we, can, we can go on and sometimes we justify not looking like Jesus because of because other people don't, or other people have done things to us. Well, if God becomes the object of your sin, and we recognize God as love and good and perfect and holy, well, there's no excuses there anymore. There are zero excuses for saying, why well, did this because? No. There is no because. It's just I did this. And I'm sorry, God. And that's where David is. He's like, against you, you only have I sinned. What if you saw your sin in this way? What if you saw your sin in this way where you understood that God is the object of your sin, that you are sinning against God, that, that God is the one that you're yelling at, that God is the one you're talking about behind his back, that God is the one you're lusting after, that God is the one you're stealing from, that God is the one you can't forgive. 
how would that change things? How would that change things in the desires in your heart? How would that change how you live your life? When you know that it's God that you're sinning against, but it's also the person with abundant compassion and mercy and steadfast love. And David here, he goes on to recognize even more so. He says, verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in my sin did my mother conceive me. Um, he, he's, he's really self-aware right now. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in my sin my mother did, can, did my mother conceive me. He's not making an excuse, saying, oh, well, this is just the way I am. He's aware of the nature that is in the sinful nature, his nature that's been corrupted by sin. And this self-awareness is born out of his Savior awareness. It's born out of him knowing God. And as, he's, as he knows God, as he, as he seeks the Lord, the Lord reveals more of David to himself. He knows himself. And so the more you know Jesus, the more you know yourself. And you actually begin to see your sin in more detail and nuanced. You actually begin to see it at the root. Because guys, hopefully as you grow up in your Christian faith, hopefully as you walk with Jesus, you're not, you're not praying against your pride anymore. You're not praying against your anger anymore. You're not praying against lust anymore. Those are some big, some big things. I mean, Jesus deals with all those in the Sermon on the Mount. You're not praying against lying and not being a person of integrity anymore. Those are like basic superficial sins, right? that we can all recognize in ourselves at one point or, or another. Um, but as you become more aware and, and deeper in your relationship with the Lord, you become more aware of yourself and where the, roots of, where the root of that sin is, where the nuances are. And, and your sin becomes um, more acute, okay? It doesn't become cute. Acute. <laughs> um, and... And, uh, and so it's almost like a surgery. It's like, okay, um, before it was, it was God repairing a broken arm, but now it's God going in and doing quadruple bypass surgery. We've got to change out arteries here. That's, that's like really invasive, right? It's not just a couple of stitches here. Not that you do that for a broken arm, but a cut on your arm, a couple of stitches here. It's, it's more invasive than that. And, and that, isn't, uh, that shouldn't scare you. Don't let that scare you. It's actually freeing. Because you've gotten past the big things. Anger, pride, lust, uh, gossip, um, you know, fear of man, fear, affirm, uh, seeking affirmation from others. Those are the big things that you've gotten away from. And it becomes a little bit more nuanced than that. And David, David is here at this point and, and he's seeing that. And then to finish out in verse 6, he says, Behold, again. Those, are big, those two words are big in Hebrew. Behold. You delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. What an amazing passage. So um, the reason we're going through Psalm 51 is uh, because Adam, Adam was reading through it, and he suggested it for, for the new year, and it fit just perfectly where the Lord's leading us. And this was something that Adam and I 
really latched onto. Like just the inward being, the secret heart. I mean, he says, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. What is that? What is, what is the secret heart? I mean, think about that part of your heart, that part of yourself, that part of your mind, because the heart in the scriptures represents the entirety of your being, that part of yourself that no one else knows except God. Right? It's like this little vault inside yourself where you put the worst things, maybe. Or it's like your deepest motivations. It's your, it's like, when you think about what truly motivates you on a day-to-day basis, that's in your secret heart. That's in your inward being. Like outside to people, it may look like, oh, well, it may look differently, right? But inside, you know what's in that vault. You know what's in there, right? It's that secret place. And look, it says, it says God here, David saying to God, you delight in truth in the inward being. What you want to dwell in there is truth. What dwells in your inward being? What dwells in your secret heart? Is it truth? Because that's what God wants to delight in. That's what he wants for you. That's what he desires to be dwelling in your inward being. And he says, then you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Wisdom should dwell there and exist there. Is that what's there in your secret heart? Is that what's actually there in your inward being? You know, it's what God desires for us, but for so many of us, those good things don't dwell in the secret heart. Our motivations aren't that pure. What actually dwells there are lies, deceit, the ways of the world that we thought were good or maybe innocuous, but are actually leading us away. They're on the wide path of destruction, not the narrow path those things that are actually motivating us. And I feel like some of, some of you may not even know what's in your secret heart. Like you need to actually take time to meditate on that and say, God, what is actually motivating me? Why am I actually doing the things that I'm doing? Why do I actually, why am I actually on this career path? Why am I getting an education? Why do I feel like I need to make my family as comfortable as possible? Why do I um, do this to earn, to earn money? Why, do I, why am I in this job? Why do I live here? Like, what, what is your motivation? And so much just go through life without even knowing what our motivation is. We just do. We just go. And I'm inviting you today to say, God, help me discover what's in that place. Because it shouldn't be vaulted. It should be open to the Lord. And He knows what's in there. And so what's in there? Like I said, for a lot of us, it, it's, it, it could be lies and deceit and unhealthy motivations. It could be what someone said to you growing up. You're never going to be good enough. You need to achieve, you need to achieve things in life. Um, we don't care what you think. I wish you were more like fill in the blank. You're too fat. You're too skinny. You're too ugly. You're too pretty. You're... You know, find your identity in this. Your value comes from you being, looking like this, talking like this, 
Like, what is in that secret heart? And what actually motivates you? That's when true repentance that produces revival is going to happen in your heart. And when Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it's when you will truly repent and understand your identity in Christ. And it's a kingdom identity. It's an identity that is not small. It's part of, it's part of the fabric of the universe. It comes from the Lord, this kingdom identity. You know, Romans 2.4 says that God, okay, if you don't know this verse, just think about this in your mind. God's blank is meant to lead us to repentance. God's blank, one word, is meant to lead us to lead you to repentance. What would be in that blank? I think before, we could have put one of those average word associations. We might have put one of those average word associations in there. But by now, hopefully, you're thinking, oh, maybe God's mercy is supposed to lead us to repentance. Maybe God's uh, compassion is supposed to lead us to repentance. Maybe God's steadfast love is supposed to lead us to repentance. It changes the tone of repentance. That verse actually says God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Repentance isn't about God's judgment. It isn't about God's consequences. It isn't about, about punishment. It's about the kindness of God, which leads you to repentance. So if we were to do that exercise again, a word association again, hopefully now, if I was to say repentance, what comes to your mind is mercy, goodness, love, compassion, kindness, abundance, clean, truth. I mean, we'll see throughout the psalm, wisdom, truth, what about joy? We'll talk about that next time. Joy is actually born out of repentance. That's what produces arrival in our hearts. We see God, we, we, we know God, we become to know ourselves, and we, and we react in this way. We repent in this way. That is your kingdom identity in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word. Father, thank you that your love is unending. It is steadfast. It is always pursuing us. You are always pursuing us. And so we open ourselves up. We pray revival in our hearts. Lord, make us into who you want us to be. Make us more like your son, Jesus. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and use us as your vessels to repent, and to see that repentance that you do in our hearts to produce revival in our homes, in our families, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, across our city, in our church, God. We pray in your name. Amen.